Hello, flutists. I'd like to thank Flutistry for being the sponsor of our Business 101 podcast. Flutistry is celebrating their 10th year as a flute specialty shop with all the products and services you need to sound your best. Based in Boston, the flute-making capital of the world, you may know them from their live streams, famous selfies, iconic water bottles, or maybe they've helped you with instrument trials or repair needs on the road, or even here in Ann Arbor at the Anatomy of Sound workshop. Whether you're looking for a flute, a piccolo, an alto flute, or a bass flute at any level, or if you're interested in repair services, sheet music, or accessories, Flutistry is here to support you at every stage of your artistic evolution. Adam Workman founded Flutistry. It's literally flute and artistry because he and the Flutistry team want to be the artist's advocate with every product and service they provide. Celebrating their 10th anniversary, they've packed 2021 with exciting announcements, including their new location, Flutistry, Florida, where they're bringing their unique service model to flutists in the Southeast and Gulf Coast region. Adam will be joining us as faculty at this year's 2021 Anatomy of Sound workshop here in Ann Arbor, June 5th through 8th and he'll be demonstrating their game-changing trial studio program. If you're interested in learning more or to set up an instrument trial, you can email them, call or message them on their Instagram at flutistryboston or visit them at flutistry.com. Thanks a lot, Flutistry. Hi, I'm Amy Porter. Some of you know me as a flutist and a classical musician, others as a professor, and some of you know me as a publisher and arranger. I'm a stepmom, I'm a business owner, and I'm the founder of a couple of nonprofits. And this is my podcast. My core mission as an entrepreneur is to appreciate what I have around me. And then I try and see as clearly as possible how I can help. So let's talk, let's share information, let's laugh and sometimes cry over the things that we have to work through in life and in music, in business and family and relationships. Come on into my Porter Flute pod. Welcome to Porter Flute Pod. It's season two, episode 18. You're in our business 101 category, and I'm calling it gigging, publishing, and being a nice person. At this stage in my life, I've developed a new mission statement. I help people learn how to empower themselves through music, business, and media. I think a lot of us are doing that now. So featured in the podcast today is Mark Toplitsky, a friend of just about everybody. He's joined by his lovely wife, Liz, and they'll be offering their ideas and their duets throughout the podcast. Pod with us, co-producers Justine Sedke and Alan J. Tomasetti, and I'd like to thank Adam Workman at Flutistry for providing a vision for the music world as he leads through the lens of a diverse staff and listens so intently to the customers themselves. 
Welcome to Porterflu Pod. We're so glad you're here. begin by giving you a glimpse into my life in college and out of college when it came to trying to develop a career in gigging and getting my name out there, so to speak. I began being entrepreneurial at Juilliard, and I took any gig that had to do with me as a soloist, like playing in a restaurant or a wedding. I played in orchestras, and I taught lessons, mainly to adults. I immediately made my rate $50 since I felt I was worth it, period. It was the end of the 80s. I had the credibility on paper and I could play. I started out by forming as many chamber groups as I could. I'm talking about friends who were always there coming to play gigs with you. You know, a flute and violin, cello trio. And then I had a flute and guitar duo. That was the real bona fide chamber group. It was with Tom Garcia, and we won in uh, Artists International. We played in Carnegie Hall and Weill Hall. So I managed to piece together rent every month. I managed to eat and get fellowships to the summer festivals. So basically, I set out to bring myself to work within my field. And it worked. At the beginning, it was really hard. Like you're a freshman in New York City. So I tried working uh, at the last Shermer store down from Lincoln Center on Broadway, but I kept messing up the register. I think that same freshman summer, I actually filled out an application at Kelly Temp Services, (laughs) and they sent me to a law firm. Can you imagine the the application? Flu player. What are they going to do with you? Right? So... They sent me to a law firm. I worked there one week. I got paper cuts all over my fingers and promptly got the flu. (laughs) So the moral of my story is, please remind yourself of your why and your purpose and configure your creative energy for your art. And then it won't quit. So keep, keep going. I kept playing in small orchestras in New Jersey and the New Jersey State Opera. And I was touring with an ensemble to Asia as a soloist. I was getting traction. And I was 26 when I won my job with the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra. However, I had lost my mother to cancer two weeks before winning the gig. She never knew. I became associate principal of the Atlanta Symphony. 
While being in Atlanta, there were opportunities to play chamber music in the Atlanta Chamber Players, and we made recordings and we toured. It was so fun. And sitting in that job, I knew I needed more and more was on the way. I was sure of it. I had always heard, make money while you sleep. So that's when I made my first study guide. See, I was always thinking of filming the Cargaylor Caprices, so why not start there? It was a grassroots effort, not high-tech at all, (laughs) and it worked. Now, translated into Japanese, my best-selling Cargaylor study guide has been downloaded and watched all over the world since 2005. If I go like way back early in my life, so in high school, I participated in almost any local or state or regional competition there was. And they often had like a prize, you know, award with it. In fact, one of them that was completely local to San Diego actually had an Aspen scholarship attached to it. So that was, I mean, that's, that's kind of a huge thing, you know, that to have in such a local pool available so I did a lot of that stuff in high school um I mean like like probably like 50 (laughs) and so I bought you know a couple flutes like went through the silver to gold is on the outside silver is on the inside etc and uh in school I didn't really do I did I just kind of stopped doing that altogether maybe it's because I stopped having parents at that point essentially um and uh I don't, I I taught some, definitely. I always had a student to, especially in my master's, you know, you go to schools to teach. That was probably the best way, at least in Texas, where the high school programs require private teachers on campus for the students who are part of the band program. Uh, It's just kind of a, it's a state thing. I think other states have something like it as well. So that was a great source of revenue, but I didn't get much, no. When I was in Colburn, my last two years, I played in the American Youth Symphony, which was an orchestra outside of the university that met on the UCLA campus, run by a, directed by a previous concertmaster of LA Phil, Alexander Traeger. And so they paid us for rehearsals. And that was, that was super, that's when I realized I want an orchestra job, that I am particularly personally interested in that for now. And, uh, but I did always participate in a lot of groups. Um, I usually had like five or six chamber groups whenever I was in school. One was Baroque and I liked hearing all the faculty's opinions. So I kind of lived my life like I was getting, but I was getting zero dollars for it. I was just taking advantage of school. Um, it helps the schools that I want to provide a full scholarship. I think that's, that's actually like life changing if that opportunity comes up for those years. Um, but then as soon as I left school and got a job, I did get a number of gigs that, that I love doing, you know, chamber music, a little bit of solo work, the occasional wedding as well. But I find that often uh, reaching out to people is as important as being good at what you do. Because you can have a job and you can have the degree, but if you're waiting for work to come to you, uh, it, it rarely does in this field. <laughs>
we're hopeful. Our season was announced for next year and everything is tentative now. That's just the world. It's, it's tentative. We wait to see next day if something changes, but uh, I'm hopeful that things can return back now and that uh, musicians come back to, to what it used to be like, if not even better. Because at least in San Antonio, we had a community that really came together, a community that we really, really appreciate. And so there was an uptrend in the number of chamber music concerts being asked for and parents and switching to Zoom, you know, et cetera, being accommodated. We actually started doing uh, master classes for or studio classes for our students for the first time because of Zoom. We just connected them all together. And that's a new thing, you know, pandemic born sort of. But uh but yeah, still feeling tentative at the moment. And uh, it's not to say it wasn't without its issues. We did take, you know, 70% cut for the year. It's not nothing, but we're, we're okay. And we're here and thrilled to be talking to you and we're playing, we have each other. We got married. In the, <laughs> in the, That's the best. There is That's that. the best. Yeah. Isn't it so great to know nice people? Well, it's an aspect of business and music that needs to be recognized. See, our culture is shifting. So it's time to think about what you say and how you say it. And that makes networking and calculating your reputation even more difficult these days. I say calculate because Sometimes there's falsities out there that you can't fix. But anyway, the easiest way to get your name out there to be hired is be a nice person. See, everybody can play. Everybody plays well. Really? You're saying, Amy, really? Everybody plays well? Yes. Okay, even if they don't play as well as you or have the same schooling as you, or the same teachers as you, some people are just super well connected. So what I heard about me was that I was a nice person. I was, I'll never forget it. I was a freshman or a sophomore, I don't remember, but I thought, oh, good, that's good. By the way, if you wonder if you have a reputation, you do, everybody does. And it's not always true, so just be careful. Anyway, I want to talk about the word networking. Networking isn't a bad word. When I was 22, a concertmaster from my Juilliard days remembered me when he was asked for a name of a good flutist who could play principal in a very local small orchestra in New Jersey. See, that's networking. I used to call other flute players and ask for their reject work. Reject work is a term I use for work that is throwaway from people who are above you in seniority. So is there seniority in gigging? Of course there is. If you'd work for the same contractor for 20 years, wouldn't you think you'd be the first call for the gig? So some flute players in New York City gave me their gigs that they couldn't do. Hey, I just want to thank everybody. And I will always love you, New York City flutists, for that love. There's nothing like that New York flute scene and our beloved New York flute club. Okay, so here's what networking means in business. I have a business 
that's in the network marketing business. That means Rodan and Fields Skincare is a direct sales company where corporate puts their sales in the hands of the people who use the products. There's no overhead of product in my house because the products go straight from the warehouse to the customer. See, it's modern shopping at its best. It's service with a smile. It's service with experience. It's helping others what, with what has helped me. You see, I'm not in networking sales. I'm in service. Can you tell us about this little pandemic project and how you came up with it? Yeah, absolutely. I'm actually going to let Liz start that because it was frankly her idea and a thought that I had played with too. So growing up, I used the Marcel Moise Tone Development Through Interpretation book a lot, all the time. And I really fell in love with it, but always had this idea like, I should make a volume too of orchestral music specifically instead of opera and flute pieces and things that are in that book. Um, I thought it'd be helpful for students to have an orchestral version that they learn orchestral music, not just the flute part, (laughs) Um, just like the beautiful melodies that are in orchestral music um, to develop their own tone. And so when we met, we started playing the tone development book and kind of like, wow, this is really amazing. And then we branched off to try orchestral music that way. And so we started reading Rachmaninoff and all of these composers that didn't write for the flute um, very <laughs> many times. Um, so we did that and we thought, wow, we can make duets out of this. Um, because we started off reading like the flute part and the violin part, or the flute part and the second flute part, and the flute part and the oboe part. And we kind of felt like it was always lacking. Too many rests. Yeah, too many rests to count, honestly. (laughs) So um, we thought, well, we could just arrange this and do that for fun. We have the time now in the pandemic. (laughs) And I haven't had the time before to make this idea happen. Uh, So let's do this. So we recorded our first video. And it was a hit. People liked it. And... Yeah, from there, it's just kind of rolled along, <laughs> um, got longer. At first we were limited by um, Instagram's one minute length before we realized that you could do an IGTV video. So it's been a long process of learning for us, uh, but it's been fun. Where it is now is different from where it was when it started, definitely. Because uh, yeah, you just, you learn as you go and you respond to your audience. And we have one that writes back to us and it's nice. And uh, I mean, so much of it is dependent on Liz. Like we have a website because Liz made it. <laughs> and we have such and such because Liz did it. And, uh, but the arranging is a lot of work. The whole thing is a lot of work. We have to split up duties and then uh, we get together and we go through our rough drafts and we discuss it. and depending on the composer and uh, the length of the piece and uh, kind of our goal, is it going to be showy or are we trying to kind of make it harmonically interesting? We make adjustments, sometimes rewrite it. So it's an arrangement and not just an exact transcription. But when we started, it was little clips of melodies we liked because I had the same idea. Like I was always technique gung-ho for a long point of my life. And then when I started playing great music, 
in school, especially when I started like really kind of, you know, being older and getting good orchestra parts, et cetera. I realized like playing good melodies is really hard. <laughs> it's actually a lot harder, I think. And so I started picking them out, writing them down as well. And, uh, but we needed each other and uh, it's, 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 it's super fun. We go through and we just brainstorm different composers or different nationalities that we haven't hit a lot. Um, and some composers tend to be better for us to transcribe than others. Like Tchaikovsky, we think it's pretty good for the flute to write for two flutes. Um, but it's pretty amazing. And yeah. then we have other composers that we're struggling with how to make this work, even though we really love the music. Um, so we have a whole folder of things that we've started writing that didn't turn out well, that maybe we'll revisit later. <laughs> um, but A trial and error, yeah. every single yeah. one. You start and sometimes you actually have to put it aside and come back to it and go, you know what? This passage, pop, 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 that yesterday I thought was stupid or last week sounded hokey like. Now that I slept on it, it's okay. The whole thing really began for us. I mean, we wanted to improve our pitch. We wanted to improve our knowledge of the repertoire. We wanted to improve our, our habits. You know, there's things I've never thought about that Liz has told me and hopefully vice versa. Um, and it was just to do something to the, I mean, in all seriousness, to one things went back because like it's, there was nothing in April and May and June and, and, and so uh, it, it totally kept us going. And I think you need to be in the right kind of mindset to be able to work with a person who plays your instrument. And it's, it's extremely healthy when you find a good way to do it, you know, like where you're not competing and you're not critical, but you're actually trying to improve. And uh, as the duets went, we just got new ideas. And so now we're hoping to make, I think, sets, you know, of highlights of the best classical music that we think there is that works on two flutes like really for an educational purpose and do you see yourself sticking to just two c flutes or would you switch to auxiliary instrument mid duet or something actually we've done that a couple times i've switched to piccolo for a couple of them we did stars and stripes for trio also beethoven five the finale with when it's just the piccolo we're working on a set pictures on an exhibition the masorski and so we have a little minute and a half uh, arrangement here that's going to be one of maybe, you know, four or five movements to this duet. This is the Tuileries.
every day, I'm preparing my students for the 21st century career. Orchestral and university jobs are becoming ever scarcer. So the abundance mindset is my mindset. It's a solution mindset. I instill a belief and I show personal support for my students that shows them I will grow with them and without fear of failure. I hope my students will only have a love and a motivation for the process of creating music and art and giving service to others through music and art. I learned this great saying, you can be a source of limitation or a source of liberation. Technology, business, scarcity, solitude, they've brought us so far in 2020 and 2021, and yet all these aspects have brought us closer together than we realize. A year into the pandemic, we still want live music. We still want our cultural life to flourish. So I ask the students graduating now, please envision your place in the world and go and don't just find it, but make your way through it, break through it. There's still live music to play. There are still opportunities to invest in the future of BIPOC and underrepresented composers. There are still ways to get the music and the instruments into the poorer communities. Socially, we can change the world through one artist, one entrepreneur, one visionary at a time. Just go do it. Thank you, Liz and Mark, for being on Porter Flute Pod today and for the service that you're providing all the flutists through these great duos from the orchestral repertoire. If you'd like to download this music, go to their website. It's lizmarkflutduo.com. That's L-I-Z-M-A-R-K-F-L-U-T-E-D-U-O.com. And thank you again to Flutistry for providing Flutist Story. We look forward to seeing everyone's story. Join us next time on Porter Flute Pod. It's our Go Blue Flutes edition, and we're celebrating the class of 2021. You can find more about me at amyporter.com or porterflute.com. And on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, I'm Porter Flute. Thanks for being here. I'm so grateful for you.